Building the fashion businesses of the future together. Welcome to the future of fashion business. The future of fashion business is about helping aspiring fashion entrepreneurs and designers start their own successful fashion brands by learning from the best, most experienced people in the industry. I am your host, Esteban Julian. For more advice and to learn more about how I started my own fashion brand, make sure you follow my fashion journey on YouTube at Esteban Julian. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Future of Fashion Business. I am your host, Esteban Julian, and here with me today I have Jody Udzenya. And Jody is the Director of Apparel Product Development at 511 Tactical. She also has more than two decades of experience in the garment industry. So with that being said, I really, really appreciate you giving us the time for, uh, to attend this episode, Jody. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you for having me. No, it's my pleasure. Uh, now, Jody, as I'm sure, and I hope you've listened to our previous episodes, yes. <laughs> but just in case you haven't, just I like to start off just by asking our guests a little bit more about their story in the industry. What made you decide to obviously start in the apparel industry? How did you end up here? And as I said before, I'm very, very excited to have you here because for you guys that you don't know, 511 Tactical is a tactical gear company. And obviously, you can expand a little bit more on that because you can do that. You can probably do that a lot better than I can. And it's just very, very interesting to see uh, a different perspective from the fashion industry from coming obviously from the tactical tactical wear, which is something that might appear very, very different. But when it comes to design and product development, it's probably a very, very similar process to fashion. But right. that being said, I talked enough, Jody. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, no, it's all good. <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit more about how you how you started in the industry. I started uh, when I was 16. I started my own clothing brand, just doing some t-shirts and just self-taught, uh, made a lot of mistakes and um, kind of went through that whole process of uh, meeting my own deadlines and sourcing um, through to being involved in my own retail store by the time I was like in my 19 and 20 years old. Again, learning a lot of mistakes, sides of the business, starting my own business, going to the commerce department and figuring out how do you get a business license and go to the bank and putting a business plan together and proposing my ideas. Um, beginning to realize that I need to learn some of the ropes from some of the professionals. So I ended up working with um, a denim manufacturer up in Canada and it's a family owned business. And at the time they were manufacturing for Levi's and GWG and um, soon grew to manufacturing denim for Nike and Levi's and Old Navy and all different levels of brands and price points. So that I worked there for quite a few years and that gave me the experience from the very beginning concepts of designing all the way through to production and customer delivery um, and fell in love with the apparel industry. And so it's super exciting. It's fast moving. Uh, always it's not just about your own personal taste, but one thing I learned was understanding who the customer is and uh, creating product that's going to be sellable for them. Um, but also understanding the process of creating a product that's also really well made mm -hmm. that has some sustainability and has a, an intention and purpose. So throughout my career, I spent most of my majority of my career in the denim industry working for junior brands and, um, then moving down to Los Angeles from Canada, working for Rock Republic and Hudson Jeans in my past. Um, and then 
shortly after that, I started working for um, 511 Tactical, which I've been here for nine and a half years now. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you also star in the fashion industry because that's gonna give you some very, very unique insight on obviously the the, the product development, the design, and the delivery process. But as you said, when you uh, we, we just mentioned you did a lot of mistakes starting out, and I can definitely relate with that. I'm sure any designer or anybody that's starting in the industry can relate with that because, I mean, it's easy to just sketch out an idea and make it come to real life, I guess. But to actually create that idea and make it into an actual product. It is a world of its own. And you, you said it, you learn, the only way to learn it is by messing up and learning from your mistakes. Now, That's what, right. what were some of the biggest mistakes that you remember you made in the past when you were starting uh, out? Definitely um, being humbled. I think when you've got this energy and excitement and this vision of what this product line could look like and where it could be selling and what celebrities could be wearing it or where you could see it in magazines or um, being placed in movies and TV shows. I mean, that's, that is the drive and the excitement and seeing all your hard work on the end, whether it's a fashion runway show or um, just having it mentioned. I think it's, those are the rewards at the end. But what's humbling for me and what I learned was um, there's a lot of things that go on for it to be at that final product stage. And it's so much, it's so much humbling, right? So yeah. I think the biggest thing I learned is you can't do it on your own. You can, it's way too much. And why reinvent the wheel when there's so many great mentors and people out there who can network with you, especially the world's so small today with LinkedIn and just Instagram and so many other opportunities to connect with people who have maybe made some of those mistakes in their own life and could teach you some things. I think it's my biggest one is learning to listen. And that's where I stopped and said, you know what, I, I don't know everything. And I need to connect with people who I look up to and have been very successful. And but they've obviously had some hardships and they've made mistakes. How can I learn from those people? So for me, that's because um, with some of my mistakes came cost of money, you know, just okay, I made a bad decision, bought the wrong material, or I went with a factory thinking it was a great deal and I was getting ripped off. Mm -hmm. Or, um, oh, I spent too much money for this lawyer to do that when I could have, you know, worked with someone else. And it, uh, so many, there's so many mistakes that I, I've learned from, but if I could summarize it in a general bucket, it would be basically to realize your weaknesses or your shortcomings and partner with people that are willing to invest the time um, and mentoring you, I, that, that's my biggest um, outcome of it all. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And in order to find these people, because obviously one of the biggest reasons why I create, decided to create this podcast to begin with is because it's, there's very much, there's a very limited amount of information when it actually comes to the nitty gritty business side of the fashion industry. So how could somebody reach out to these people? You said LinkedIn and LinkedIn, I agree, is an incredible tool to start reaching out to people, but how would they know who to even reach out to begin with? That's a good question. Um, so when I was in the denim industry, for example, I would stay really close with following who are the brand, what are the brands and who are behind those brands that I really idolize or look up to and why do I look up to them? Is it, um, and as you kind of dissect and look at all the different brands, you see where their potential strengths are. So maybe some brands, especially in the denim industry, they're great at their fits. Others are great at their washes and the denims that they choose. Others have maybe a great marketing story. So kind of connecting with different brands and saying, well, I really want to get to know 
the brains behind those people. And I know it sounds easier than it might be, but just connecting through that world. So if it's connecting with buyers, even at retail locations and saying, hey, what are some brands that have some great reputation? They might be um, people who have a great idea, but don't have the business sense. So they might not make it that many seasons. So it's, it's connecting with that community and networking and finding um, who are those people. And you can do that through different events, whether it's um, fundraisers, fundraisers for the fashion industry through to um, like in my, the denim world, for example, whether attending Kingpins, which is a denim event that happens, uh, mm-hmm. it's, you know, whether it's in New York or, I mean, of course, some of these are opportunities where you might have to pay to fly somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and just connecting in those environments and getting to know the people that know those people so that they can introduce you. Again, it's all the networking, mm-hmm. whether it's virtually through areas like LinkedIn or whether it's at social events or industry events too. And that's where going to like trade shows, whether it's magic show or um, in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. or it's attending some of those type of um, events that will connect you in that industry. I love that. And I do think networking is something super, super, super important in, the, in our industry. And as you said, especially if you're trying to find trustworthy people to work with, uh, obviously, I'm guessing a lot of people listening to this podcast might not be living in, you know, New York or London or be close to Las Vegas where you got a lot of these events happening really often. So they have to limit themselves to, uh, or maybe they just don't have, you know, the budget to travel down. So maybe they'll just have to limit themselves to something more digital. Uh, when it comes to di- reaching up and networking digitally, where would, where would you recommend they start off? Would you recommend LinkedIn over any other platform? Would you recommend just Googling things and calling businesses and asking to, for, for, you know, the people responsible for product development? What, what strategy would you think would be best for people that literally have very, very few resources to work with? I think it's a combination. So, I mean, so a lot of um, times if you're going to a school like locally here in Los Angeles or in Southern California, we have FITM, which is the Fashion Institute of Design. Mm -hmm. and merchandising so there's a lot of networking opportunities through there throughout their alumni and internship programs uh but really yeah i going online and seeing who those companies are where they're located um if it's not in your city then maybe it's just picking up the phone and and calling someone and and connecting with them it does take some courage uh and don't be discouraged if maybe the first few people don't return your calls or don't give you the time of day Mm -hmm. uh but I think it's a little bit of persistence and um, that will. It's just continuing to find those opportunities locally within your area. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree 100%. And something that I personally, uh, the problem that I came across when I started my fashion brand is that obviously I started out, I researched where the manufacturers, the sources were. And, you know, you came across all these places near Europe, you know, Portugal, Turkey, and all these supposedly great places to manufacture. But obviously when you're starting out, it's not, it's not very, it's, it's, it's very risky for you obviously get in touch with these massive manufacturers because very, sure. very few of them work with, you know, samples or, or actually help designers out before, you know, pre-production or, or production rounds. So what would you recommend people starting out, you know, developing their first samples? They're barely creating their first prototypes their first products. Uh, would you recommend they do them locally? Would you recommend they source them to a different country? What, what would be better in terms of obviously time? and cost effectiveness or just in general? Uh, that's, a hard, that's a hard question, but it really <laughs> depends on the product that you're trying to develop. So I mean, 
hence like denim, for example, if you're around the opportunity of being in Los Angeles, um, there's so many resources here for denim. But again, if you're doing knits, maybe you want to have some resources in Latin America. Um, mm. it really, and it depends on your price points too. If you're looking for price points, a lot of it is made overseas. So mm -hmm. connecting maybe with an agent that has locations in North America, if that's where you happen to be, or if you're in London or somewhere in Europe, a lot of these um, companies will have representation in, in other areas that you connect with. And even if that rep may not live in your city, they do travel often. So it's mm -hmm. connecting with those people and um, maybe on their next trip to your area, you're meeting with them at their hotel or at some other, at Starbucks or wherever it might be. Um, but they're, today everyone is so mobile and can communicate globally. Um, so that's where I see an opportunity to network like that. Absolutely. No, and I completely agree with you. And the reason why I guess it was such hard questions, as I said, because you only have, you can only go through those things to know, you know, exactly, exactly the type of problems that you're going to be, you're going to be coming, coming across, uh, you come coming across upon. But as you said, that's why it's so important to obviously be passionate about what you're doing because so many problems are going to come up that either you're going to have the, enough passion to persist or you're not going to have enough passion to succeed. That's right. And it's all, if you've got to be inquisitive, you've got to ask a lot of questions. So whether you start at the roots of being part of AAFA, which is the American Apparel Footwear Associations, or being part of different organizations or groups within your regions that mm -hmm. represent the industry, that will give you the opportunity to network and reach out to people who are the suppliers, the manufacturers, the third-party testing companies or auditors. These, this network of communities is fairly small when you mm -hmm. look at that and they'll connect you with the right people or put you with recommendations of, oh, if you're looking for that, I recommend talking to this person. And it just, it just leads from one thing to another. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody, everybody knows everybody in this industry. So as long as you put your, you, you manage to put your foot in the door, most likely you'll end up somewhere or meeting the right person. Right. Awesome. Well, as I said, one of, one of my biggest problems starting out, I'm sure this is also something that happens with people starting out, was that you get, as you said at the beginning, you, you get really excited with you know, your brand and you get lost in your dream, what you're going to achieve, et cetera, et cetera. So you start developing all these different products, different sizes, different materials, different fabrics. What I learned, and correct me if, if I'm mistaken, obviously, is that when you're starting out, just keep it simple for yourself. Start developing one product that is going to be able to sell your idea, sell your brand, and so that it's just an easier, more smooth process when it comes to you know making that product that reality. Exactly, staying focused and, mm -hmm. and envisioning what that transition will look like, and um, don't bite off more than you can chew for sure. And I, I hate to use the cliches, but there's some truth to them. Mm -hmm. um, kind of envision where your seasonal line plan is going to look like and what that evolution could be because uh, everything costs money to develop. So if, I mean, if you want to get into wovens and knits, what does that look like and what are some potential limitations? Absolutely. And for somebody that, that is developing their first, first product, would you recommend they really spend time on developing a perfect product or would you recommend they just go for it and just release something that even though it's not perfect, at least it's going to, it's going to push them to continuously move forward, you know? Uh, yeah. And that's, that's the hard part is negotiating with yourself because especially on the 
creative side, you could just spend forever just perfecting it. So mm -hmm. it's knowing that there's going to be some, what is that time or place where it's going to be okay. And that's where coming up with your deadlines for a calendar is really important. Um, mm -hmm. And know that you're never going to have that perfect version. And I mean, you, you look at every product out there, consumer product, whether it's Apple or the iPhone or it's different makes and models of vehicles, they're constantly improving it for the next update or the next version. And that's something you, that, that it's really hard to discipline yourself, but by having a calendar, so for example, if you're working for a spring 2021 launch release and it's for January 1st, work that timeline backwards and know, okay, I've got to place my orders by June if I want to get them in time for that. That means I need to sign off a sample by beginning of May, mm -hmm. um, fit and grading and all that. And it's just working that calendar backwards. And it's, it could take some time to create that calendar, but mm -hmm. there's a lot, of, um, a lot of great help out there from factories and fabric and trim mills that can help you also with that. Mm -hmm. um, but once you stick to that timeline, you know, okay, this is not negotiable anymore. Otherwise, I'm going to have to move this out to another season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and sticking to that timeline, obviously, the more experience and the more times you do this over, the shorter the amount of time it takes you to, to go through this cycle. Uh, how long should somebody that's starting out expect for it to take, you know, with their, with their first products? Or how, uh, how yeah, first launching a line in a product. Um, mm -hmm. I've done this before in the past with a brand called Fidelity Denim, which has a premium denim line. Mm -hmm. And it took us, I would say, close to a year from scratch to launch mm -hmm. to come out with the line. And that's developing the brand, the branding that goes with it, mm -hmm. um, the perfecting the fit, sourcing the right fabrics. It's really your first attempt to impress the buyers and your customers. So mm -hmm. you really want to do your homework. And it, it does take that time because you're, you're looking for the right factories to partner with. You're finding the right fabrics. Um, so it's, it could take upwards of a year, depending on how much time you have to invest in it. Sometimes longer. Um, mm -hmm. But if you've got the resources already, you've got the experience, it could be a shorter window. But realistically, six months is quick. Mm -hmm. um, but I say 10 to 12 months, it gives you the time to really vet out, um, the right product. And yeah, and that, that is a lot easier said than done because if you're starting your own fashion brand, as you're, you probably can relate with this as well, Jody, is that being patient is extremely difficult. And if you get impatient, you start risking obviously the quality of your product, not being good enough you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. It shows in your product. So it's, it's trying to avoid making some of those emotional decisions um, mm -hmm. and second guessing yourself. So I, yeah, again, going back to the beginning, what we're talking about having a mentor, maybe, or just even a small collective group that you value their opinion and getting the constructive feedback and getting some end users to maybe wear test the product or give some opinion of what they think that'll also help shape it. That's awesome. That's incredible. And now, We'd like to take a quick commercial break to thank our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Your Social Component. At Your Social Component, we help fashion and e-commerce business owners automate and scale their online sales using the best online advertising strategies out there. If you're looking for a marketing agency that completely understands your industry and can scale your fashion and e-commerce business to the next level, Make sure you get in touch through our website at yoursocialcomponent.com. Now let's continue with this week's episode. 
that's awesome. That's incredible. And to, to reach out to these, to these potential mentors, because I completely agree with you that finding people that can teach you about the industry that have done what you haven't done, that have faced the problems that you're currently facing is the best way to obviously move forward in this industry. But is, uh, I find it really common. Obviously, as you said, a lot of people are not going to be interested, but uh, is it is it normal for people to just help people out? Because I'm sure a lot of people, when they start this out, they'll continuously get rejected again because it's normal. And it's very easy for them to just lose that motivation and like, you know, start saying to themselves, oh, this doesn't work. Nobody wants to help me out. Uh, what, what would be a, a solid strategy or something that they, they should expect uh, for it to happen if they're trying to reach out to people that are experiencing the industry? Yeah, I mean, the rejection denial it's all part of it it's right? part of the game it's part of the game it, it makes you tougher so it does, it, yeah <laughs> it's really through connecting i mean i've been fortunate in my career to be able to network with different people and it, my evolution has grown too so people i do keep in touch with uh people that maybe i connected with 15 20 years ago mm-hmm. um as i'm evolving but as someone who's in their career later on it this feeling of being able to support someone else and mentor them is also very rewarding because you want to pass on the knowledge that you have. So there is a community out there. I think it's just a matter of connecting with the right people, um, but being respectful of their time and their space um, and their resources too. Um, So again, whether it's through your school that you went through to get your fashion design degree, or if you didn't go to school for that, um, and just connecting with that community, whether it's a fabric or trim suppliers, or manufacturers, there are people out there that are willing to give you a helping hand, especially if they see the potential and how much passion and opportunity there is in somebody, they will, mm-hmm. they will, you will find and connect with the right people. I agree. I 100% agree. And I love that you said that you were lucky because a lot of people look at luck and they just think like it's something that cannot happen to them. But you have to remember that's the importance of persistence. If you're persistent, you will get lucky. Like maybe, right. maybe really, really early on, maybe really, really late, but it will happen to you. So that's why you just have to keep going at it. And a lot of people exactly. forget about, you know, a lot of people forget that. Exactly. Yes. Awesome. So, uh, I'm sure a lot of people might listening might feel a lot of, might feel very, very overwhelmed because I mean, I'm, I'm in the industry and I feel that there's so many information that we've, we've talked about. Uh, how would you describe the, the whole product development process? And obviously this is a very complicated and it, it depends on a lot of variables but if you had to explain this to somebody that is barely starting in the industry what would you say what stages should they you know pay the most attention to and what should they expect from the whole process in general so uh, product development is um if essentially is commercializing a design to production mm-hmm. um so it, many organizations could have multiple layers and large teams of people and a lot of standard operating processes documented. But you also may be in a one-man show. You may be doing this yourself also. So from a product development standpoint, it's maintaining the integrity of the initial design, but being open that there could be some modifications because it's a discovery when you go through the development process. The initial design may have been looking one way with this material called out, you may find out as you're going through the sourcing of those materials that the materials are more expensive than what you can afford for the target price. Mm -hmm. So you're having to go back and say, okay, well, here's some other materials that we're going to have to look at because with the initial ones, 
we're going to be way overpriced. We're not going to be able to sell it. Um, also being cautious of the, not only the timelines, which is a huge component of product development, mm -hmm. but also making sure that the quality and the integrity of the product is there from the beginning. So knowing, okay, well, I've got to be sure that what we're putting together is going to work. It's not going to fall apart. It's going to fit well. Working with your pattern makers and your designers um, to make sure that that's happening and partnering with your vendors so mm -hmm. that they understand the end execution of what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, for us at 511 Tactical, for example, we've created a step-by-step -step process so you don't have to memorize everything. Um, of, it's a system already. It's a system. We call it our commercialization checklist. So mm -hmm. this gives us the opportunity to um, say, okay, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. You're planning your next steps. And you're also partnering with your other teams, whether it be with legal and say, okay, I've, I've got to make sure my product name is kosher. Like it, it's not going to be an infringement of any um, existing trademarks or, Hey, is this product, is there potential for a designer utility patent on this product? If so, I got to trigger when I can start, um, start that process. Um, and then all the other triggers when it comes to color standards, when do I get my lab dips made and, all of that. So it's really about um, discipline of organization, timelines, and knowing which is ahead of you to get the product from A to Z. Mm -hmm. I 100% agree. And I love that you said, again, you mentioned quality control because that is something particularly uh, hard for us, if, especially if you're a designer or you're doing it yourself, because obviously you put so much care, so much effort into your products. And then that's why it's so important to have those relationships established because you, you truly don't know or you truly have to trust the people that you're, you're working with in order to deliver the, the product at the same quality that you, that you want it to be. Exactly. So a, a lot of established companies will have a quality standard manual mm -hmm. uh, dissecting down to every material and trim what is required for their testing from whether it's color fastness or crocking um, to the strength, the tear and tensile, et cetera. It depends on the materials. It depends on the product, but having that in place gives your vendor an understanding of what is your requirement. Mm -hmm. um, so as you're going through the commercialization development process, you're always checking back to those to say, okay, if we make this change, are we still going to meet our quality requirements? So when you mm -hmm. get to production, there is some level of management and consistency. Wow. I mean, let me tell you something, Jody. This episode is dense in information. Oh. <laughs> it is. Trust me. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm having the conversation here with you. I'm like, whoa, I'm going to have to repeat this one to make sure I write everything down. <laughs> There's so, a lot. <laughs> but that's awesome because, again, that's the whole point of this. There's, I, when I started out, I, found, I, I literally found no information about this. I had to learn it you know, on the, on the streets, pretty much, you know, wasting a lot of time, wasting a lot of money. So I, that's why I really want to, I really want to tell you how valuable it is to have you here. Oh, uh, I appreciate it. No, it's, it's my pleasure. And again, for the listeners at home, they're are feeling a little bit overwhelmed on the amount of information. It's very normal when you start learning and, and learning about all of these things that you never knew you didn't know before, uh, that you keep it simple. And again, that's why Jody, and look, correct me if I'm wrong again, Jody, is, it says that it's so important for you to be humble about it. Expect a lot of mistakes to happen and make sure that you find those people that are going to are gonna take your hand during the process and help you along the way. Because again, you're going to make a lot of mistakes, right? 
exactly. And don't be afraid to ask a lot of questions. So for example, if I'm meeting with a, if I were young and new in this industry and I was meeting maybe with a fabric mill, you mm-hmm. could ask them and say, I know you can't disclose how some major brands may uh, have their quality requirements, but could you share what some of the industry requirements might be? So if you're looking, if you're picking a fabric and a mill gives you a, what they call a specification sheet, how that particular fabric performs, mm-hmm. you can feel free to ask those questions because those numbers could be completely different language to someone who may not be accustomed to what that information is. So again, don't ask or don't be afraid to ask those questions and better understand what you're looking at. That's incredible. Well, just to, uh, just, just to conclude the episode, I always like to ask my guest about obviously what the best advice they've ever been giving in the industry has been. So with somebody like you, Jody, I think it's perfect because obviously you've started, you've created your own fashion brand. You've been in the industry for a long time. So if you could start, if you were starting all over again, you know, you're talking to yourself 20, 15 years ago, what would be the best piece of advice that you'd give yourself? I would say what is making my product or brand unique and special that is not out there in the competition. Mm-hmm. Um, to come out with another t-shirt brand with maybe you've got a fun saying, there could be some short life to that, um, mm-hmm. but you really need to be long-term thinking and have your pulse on where you're going and know who your competition is and what you're going to bring that's going to be different. That's going to be a selling proposition, but keep everything in mind within regards to your price. Who's going to buy it? Like your retailers, who in the end user, the customer is going to buy it. Mm -hmm. Um, And how are you going to get it made? How is it going to be sustainable? Because I've seen a lot of brands that have some great ideas, but they're lacking the business sense of how to commercialize product or how to source it um, where they're going to be profitable. Mm Just, just, know what the end is going to look like and how you're going to be able to compete. Because if you ever get to the point where you have your own booth at a trade show and a customer, a buyer for a retail store is walking through those aisles, mm-hmm. what is it going to stand out that you're better than that next brand? What's so unique and special? So um, make sure you practice that opportunity out to, and really do your market research and get some feedback from others. That's amazing. That's amazing, Jody. Thank you very much. Well, actually, you know what? I just thought of a question and I don't usually do this, but I'm glad you said, don't be afraid to ask questions because that's exactly what I'm going to do right now. (laughs) And uh, I'm sure that a lot of people, especially right now, it's very trendy, you know, to have to find sustainability in the products that you're purchasing or the, the products that you're actually developing. What is your whole view on sustainability? Why is it such, um, not obviously not only a trend, but why is it so hard for a lot of companies to adapt to developing sustainable products? Uh, well, definitely there's, there's great leaders out there. I look at Patagonia and the North Face and Levi's and a lot of companies who are making their stamp on that and they're industry leaders and a lot of efforts there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, sustainability is a little hard because you have to start from the grassroots. How is the product being made down to yarn forward? So we're finding the right mills and looking for those indications. So fortunately in our industry for apparel, there's a lot of great organizations like Blue Sign, for example, who implement the sustainability measures at the manufacturing level for those materials. Mm -hmm. Um, So looking for those indicators are really helpful. Um, But I mean, for the consumer to know that you have thoughtfully 
considered what impact, what footprint does this have if I were to buy this product? Um, and if that, and some brands, that's their message. Um, so it, it is really important to be thoughtful and consider but the industry is growing and evolving too, that some of these sustainable fabrics are awesome, but they're also coming with a little bit of a price tag, they're a little more expensive. So if you were to get a polyester, a recycled polyester versus a non-recycled, you're going to be paying a little bit more in that recycled fiber, but you will share that in the cost of the actual piece that you're selling. Absolutely. So all, these are all things that you have to kind of think of. And how do you communicate that into your marketing message? Is it from your hang tags through to your labels that are a part of the product and the messaging that you're conveying in um, when you're selling your product? That's awesome. Thanks for that response. I know the question came literally out of nowhere, but hey, I'm no, just, I'm just following okay. your advice here. <laughs> it's definitely, it's a huge movement that's happening. Um, a lot of the fabric mills and different companies we meet with, even packaging and trim vendors, is all about the sustainability right now. Amazing. Well, uh, Jody, just to finish up, uh, can you just let our listeners know where they can learn more about 511 Tactical? Where can they see your problems? And obviously, if, if they want to reach out to you or reach out to the company, what's the best place to do it? Sure. Uh, so please feel free to visit our website. It's www.511tactical.com. That's 511-T-A-C-T-I-C-A-L.com. Uh, our product line is geared for first responders, uh, but it's growing to the larger community. Uh, so we deal with police, fire, paramedics, military, uh, secret service, FBI, etc., all globally around the world. Um, but if anyone is interested in wanting to reach out, my email is J-O-D-I-E-U at 511tactical.com. And that's Jody U at 511tactical.com. Amazing, Jody. Again, I can't really thank you enough for being here with us today. It was really, really an incredible episode. I learned a lot myself. So thank you so, so much for giving us the opportunity. Thank you, Esteban. It was a pleasure and I had a lot of fun. Thank you for your time. No, thank you for yours, Jody. Thank you very much. If you want to learn even more about how you can start your own fashion brand, make sure you follow me on YouTube at Esteban Julian. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Future of Fashion Business. Make sure you subscribe to listen to our future episodes.